Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. Look, y'all know we harp on it a lot. You need a good pair of binos. Yeah, I never hunted with binos until I was almost into my 20s. I never did it when I was a teenager or anything like that. Or when I was a kid, we never had binos. And when I bought my first pair of Vortex binos, the first binos I ever purchased back in like 2015, it immediately made a huge difference for me, especially in the turkey woods. So give yourself the advantage of a good pair of binos this spring, whether you're looking for more of like an entry-level bino like the Vortex Diamondbacks or something really, really nice like the Razors. Vortex is going to have something for you. And hey, don't pay full price for it. Use our discount code at eurooptic.com. Use the code SGN10 to get a discount on any Vortex optics that you want to order. Again, that's eurooptic.com, code SGN10 to go get a discount on any Vortex product you order. If you live in the Gulf Coast region, you need to find yourself at the EcoWild Expo May 10th through the 12th in Mobile. It is the premier outdoor expo for the Gulf Coast region, and we're going to be there. We're going to have a booth. We're super excited about it. Can't wait to meet you guys that live down there. We absolutely love the Gulf Coast region, so to be a part of this show, we're super excited about. We're going to have past podcast guests there at our booth for you to talk to, guys who are relevant for your area, who you can talk to, you can pick their brain, you can joke with them, laugh with them, tell them your story, whatever you want to do. It's going to be a awesome time. We're already working on some past podcast guests, but hey, if you live in this area and you have a suggestion for someone you want to see at that show, write in and we'll see if we can get them. There's going to be all kinds of exhibitors at the show that are focused on hunting, fishing, conservation, and recreation. There's going to be activities for the whole family there. They got axe throwing, archery. They're going to have our podcast booth. And then for the kids, they got touch tanks, a honeybee exhibition, a raptor show, kids fishing tank, BB gun range, and a butterfly house. So you're going to love it. Your kids are going to love it. It's going to be an awesome time. So head on over to ecowildexpo.com to get more information on the show and to go ahead and grab your tickets. And hey, mark it on your calendar, May 10th through the 12th. Be there. We want to see you and we're excited to talk to you. So we'll see you at the EcoWild Expo this May 10th through the 12th at the Mobile Convention Center in Mobile, Alabama. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about Mr. Jacob Lyshen's episode uh, going on late season hunting, and we're going to be answering some Lister Q&As. You can uh, skip ahead to those Q&As if you just don't give a crap about what we have to say for the next half hour. You can skip ahead to the Q&As. There's timestamps down below in the show description, so you can go hit those if you want to. Uh, but other than that, right now, we're going to be talking about Jacob Lyshen, late season hunting. Uh, how you doing, Myers? Doing good. Doing real good. Uh, I need a... Well, we haven't really been in a situation quite yet having to use the late season tactic but i don't think we will be this year either 
That's a well. I mean that. No, I mean I'm just saying like we just chase the rut. I know. E- even if we don't tag out, you know, um, in like early January, I, w- is there anywhere in particular that you'll be hunting late season? I got some places in mind. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. Hopefully it doesn't come down to that. <laughs> so <laughs> hopefully, you know, hopefully, yeah, hopefully it doesn't come down to that. But no, uh, it's been it's it's a really good episode. Uh, I, I'm. Jacob's an interesting guy because of his work schedule. That's one reason why he's had to kind of master this late season hunting. Um, and that's one reason why we kind of put this episode together for you guys. So if you are in one of these states, um, and I told Jacob this before we started recording, like a state that came to mind specifically is a lot of our listeners over in Arkansas, the state of Arkansas. You know, for the majority of this, you know, pretty much the whole state, you know, the rut's done by, you know, especially once you get out of like uh, that southeast corner of the state, you know, by mid to late December, it's kind of done unless you find like maybe some secondary rut action. Um, but you have such a long bow season goes all the way through pretty much the end of February that you have a ton of opportunity to still go out and hunt late season deer. Yep. And, and that's one reason why I want to have Jacob on. Plus, you know, you got guys in Mississippi as well that, you know, some parts of Mississippi have that rut like Alabama does, you know, December, January rut, but they're still, their season still goes for, uh, I think to the end of January. Yep. Um, so there's still some opportunity there to be had along with some other States. Um, but it's interesting getting a guy on like Jacob who has the experience just because of his work schedule. He has to hunt a lot in North Carolina late season. Like he might have a little bit of early season opportunity. Maybe he gets away for a little bit of a rut hunt, but typically not because he's doing other film projects. Um, but it, it was really interesting kind of picking his brain on, you know, the aspects that, you know, he really has to focus on. Number one, which we all kind of thought this, but it's like that unbearable security cover that is just terrible to get into yep. man, from a hunter standpoint you know that's where the bucks are gonna be at. and i'll take i'll say this you know if you're in an area uh and we talked about this in the episode you know jacob hunts a lot of more kind of like river bottom habitat um you know and typically in my experience hunting river bottoms cover is a limiting uh habitat feature like just good yeah. security cover there's not typically a lot of it on the landscape and a lot of times in like river bottoms especially with flooding and all that happening versus in other areas of the southeast you know, if you're like rolling hill or, or uh flatland country and it's a lot of pine plantations and timber harvest thick cover can be very readily available mm-hmm. um yep. but you know what jacob talks about and like what he really specializes in which is that limited cover opportunity kind of in those river bottoms is where he like really strives and also that, i think that's a big factor for him kind of jumping to this interview or you know, this podcast about him trying to cut those big tracks late season mm-hmm. in the kind of like that flooded river bottom kind of area to me it lends itself very well to find those tracks at that time versus if you're in hill country and it's pretty rocky soil maybe you got some clay road but it's not like you're necessarily cutting a track a lot of times real close to some of that thick covers typically at yeah yeah for sure uh and the track thing stuck out to me too because tracks it's such a good uh piece of evidence and and like i think me and you were kind of similar with we didn't really pay much attention to tracks for the first you know especially the first couple years that we were hunting public land and like really trying to get out there and and develop some woodsmanship skills Mm -hmm. Because I don't know why. I really don't know why. Because you were so focused on maybe like rubs and scrapes that tracks just didn't hold that much weight. And you're like, well, you really can't tell anything from a track. Da, da, da. Um, and so I just, I didn't really pay much attention to them. And, and you've said in the past that you were kind of similar. Yeah. And But they're such a good piece of sign because they're so perishable. Like it's a rub mm. can be kind of hard to determine exactly how old a rub is if it's not screaming fresh, like yeah. super, super fresh. 
shavings on the ground. Like you really don't know if that did, like was that made five days ago or three weeks ago. Mm-hmm. It can be really hard to tell. Uh, but a track, you can, I mean, you can really tell how fresh a track is, especially if you've had some weather fronts come through or, or you've just had some really high humidity, like dewy mornings, mm-hmm. uh, that, that degrade tracks or windy days that degrades tracks. And there's just a lot of ways that you can tell, uh, how old a track is. Um, it's, it can be a little bit more challenging when like this fall, a lot of the Southeast experienced a big drought. And I remember here in Alabama, it was dry 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 and we had uh we had a one good rain band come through sometime during the season and there's this one spot of my hunting club where these two roads come together and there's kind of some softer that red clay right there Mm -hmm. and right after that rain came through a deer walked through that and it left just some beautiful you know big old tracks walking through there and then it was dry again for like a month. And those tracks looked so crisp and fresh just because of the medium that the track was in. That clay holds the track so well. Mm-hmm. And then it, it basically was wet. It was like perfect. And it like froze it in time that you really had to look at those tracks. Like if you're just, if you just glance at them as you're walking or driving by, you'd be like, oh, those are fresh tracks. But they're like three and a half weeks old. Yep. So, you know, there, there's some like experience and woodsmanship that comes into it. And that's actually a really good way to kind of get good at reading tracks and how fresh they are is if you got something near the house, if you got something near your work where deer walk around or a place that you hunt a lot where you're like, hey, that one mud hole always has some deer tracks in it or that one set stretch of road. If you can go and find some tracks and just kind of watch how they deteriorate mm-hmm. over a week, over two weeks, three weeks, uh, that's going to teach you a lot about your area because there's really no way that we could explain Hey, you. This is how you tell if a track is. I mean, there's like some general rules, like the the sharpness of the track, like um, the in the bottom of the track, like is it is it like rough or smooth or whatever. Like, there's certain ways that that you can tell roughly whether or not a, 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 a track is fresh. But the best way to do it is to just go find some tracks and just kind of watch how they how they last, you know, and how they deteriorate over time in your area in your soil type. And, and also, on the flip side of that. One thing that tracks can tell you, especially like in the different mediums, different soil types and everything that they could be left in, you might go to one area, and I've got an example I'll, I'll give here, uh, where you might go to one area and you're like, man, there's tracks everywhere. Like the deer are beating this place down. Mm-hmm. And then you get a little bit of rain, come back through later, and maybe, you know, six, eight hours after the rain, and there's no tracks or one set of tracks. Uh-huh. And, you know, during like prime time, um, there was a, an area me and me and Michael Pike had, uh, driven through that I wanted to really check out on a piece of public. And, um, I've always seen a bunch of tracks. There's really good bedding and, uh, went through, we found a big set of buck tracks, uh, actually coming to and from this one thicket, uh, with a set of doe tracks right next to it. Where like, you can tell like he's like stepping, he's potentially falling this doe into the spot and maybe kind of bouncing out of it. Um, and then we drove around to the, the other side of it. And uh, there's a big open area, and there was just tracks, I mean, everywhere. And it had rained probably a couple days beforehand. So these tracks, you know, they're fairly fresh. And just, I mean, it's just tracks that I'm like, man, I might want to sit one of these little open areas right here where these tracks are at, uh, just because it looks like the, d- the deer coming through a good bit and some buck tracks there. Well, I went back through maybe two weeks later. We had, we had a bunch of rain. And uh, it was the day, actually, JT killed his buck. Oh, yeah. And I bounced because I only had a couple hours to scout slash hunt before I needed to go to a Christmas party. So I drove back into that spot, checked both of those areas where those tracks were at, and I found one set of, I mean, just, I mean, doe fawn tracks, maybe a little button buck, and that mm-hmm. was it yeah. coming through there. And the rain had probably stopped, you know, 
eight hours, ten hours before that. Um, so I'm like, well, they were using it. I don't know how readily available or how, how much activity it had because that's the thing about like really soft soil. It might look totally tracked up, but it might be two or three deer coming through there. Yes. That oh. are just like, it might it might be like if you have like really good moisture levels, it hasn't rained or maybe it had rained, but the ground stays moist for, you know, a week or two. You might have two or three deer walk through and maybe one buck, and it looks like there's 60 deer here. Yeah. Because there's tracks just everywhere, but it may not be that many deer that are doing it. So also, you know, you need to take that with a grain of salt as well when you think like you might be getting to a hot spot where there's a ton of tracks and it hasn't rained, you know, seven or eight days, but it might just be the same few deer come through. Now, the flip side is if you find that, you know, 12 to 24 hours after it rained and it's just tracked up, may not be just a ton of deer, but there's definitely some deer using it pretty heavily right after that rain came through. Yeah. And that's something that we've used in the past, and Michael Pike's talked about on the podcast, about finding really good crossings on roads. We're like, it's it's good to go ride them before the rain happens and to see which crossings have been hot in the past. Mm-hmm. And then after the rain comes through, you know, whether you do it right when the rain stops, or I like to wait like 12 hours after the fact. Yeah. And then drive those roads and to see where you can cut some fresh tracks and see what trails are using the most. And that can be used for a couple different reasons. Where you might want to put a trail camera on one of those crossings, but also where are they going, where are they coming out of, um, and figure out, you know, is that area huntable by yeah. any chance? Yeah, for sure. Now, that's a really good point, actually. And that's something that used to burn me a lot was you find, like, especially on a creek crossing, and it's just absolutely beat up with tracks. There's, there's like hundreds of tracks and the, like the more I either put cameras on spots like that or hunted around them, you know, you, you'd be sitting in a spot like that and like, here comes three does and they cross and then they just kind of linger around and then they cross again and then they cross again. And now all of a sudden it looks like a zoo in there. Mm-hmm. I mean, it looks like a petting zoo in that, in that Creek. But in reality, it was three does that came through there one time and mm-hmm. left that amount of tracks, especially if you're, if you're finding tracks and all of the tracks are the same age. Mm-hmm. That that to me is a red flag. Actually, if I'm looking at a creek crossing, uh, or just you know a trail that's got some soft dirt along the way, a mud hole, like whatever the case may be, if all the tracks that I see are the same age, yeah, a pond's like that too. Oh yeah, and ponds like that uh, especially. Uh, if they're all the same age, then I'm like, okay, this is probably a doe group that came through here one time. You know, and and it's probably now if I'm seeing like different ages of tracks, which uh, we've had several people in the past talk about that. I think uh, Michael Ball was one of them from Arkansas. Mm-hmm. If there's several ages of tracks, so like, okay, here's one that looks like old and deteriorated. Here's one that looks a little bit better, and here's one from like this morning. It's mm-hmm. super super crisp and fresh looking. Mm-hmm. That to me, that gets me fired up way more so than even if it's not that many tracks. But if it's if it's like a ton of tracks and it looks like a petting zoo, uh, but they're all the same age, that doesn't really actually fire me up at all anymore. Yeah. Especially when you run cameras on them and you find out that you know one group of doe came through there one time, and then they they're not coming back through until two and a half weeks later at mm-hmm. night. You know, and you're like, wow. Yeah, and it just looks like the best spot ever, but it's it's really deceptive. Yep. And trails can be that way too in general, like a, a beat down trail. Uh, can look really good. Like we had, we had this one trail at the at my hunting club that was on a creek crossing, and it was one of those where the the trail is like cut into the riverbank and it's is crossing, and it's clearly been used for years and years and years. Put a camera on it. Very very consistent deer movement on it all summer. Big Ten was there. A bunch of does were there. Some other bucks were using it. And since then, nothing. I mean nothing. Mm. They haven't been using it since the leaf drop happened. 
they haven't been using it hardly at all. Uh, I think they like to use that that particular ridge that they were coming off of was a lot of hardwoods. And uh, there's a decent amount of saplings up there, so it's kind of a high stem count. But in the summertime, you can't see very far because it's so steep and there's enough saplings that, you know, you can't see more than like, you know, 20, 30 yards unless you get up in a tree. Mm -hmm. Now you can see from the creek, you can see all the way to the top of the hill. You can almost shoot to the top of the hill with a rifle. And so I think they quit using it for that reason. And that goes into what Jacob was talking about, uh, which, you know, here in that place, we're just now coming into rut. But I think almost the same principle kind of still applies about them kind of getting sucked into cover because now there's less cover on the club or on whatever place that you're hunting that actually will hold those deer, like that they feel safe in. So like the the further you get into winter, and especially right now, you know, getting right here around Christmas, it's just now uh, like here and at least where we are in central Alabama, it's really just now like full on winter uh, like all the leaves are dropped, you know, pretty much everything is changed. Like we're not transitioning anymore. We're, we're now like full on wintertime landscape. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, would you agree with that? Oh yeah. Cause For like sure. October through November and even through a lot of December, we're still kind of transitioning. Like there's still some trees that are holding longer than others. Um, there's stuff like beech trees that are going to hold on until they get their new leaves. But for the most part, there's still stuff holding on in November. We still got leaves dropping in early December. Mm -hmm. uh, but now like kind of everything is falling. So the woods are as barren as they're going to get. And so now those deer are forced into that cover as much as they're going to be for the rest of the year. And that's when it makes it hard. We talked about in an episode with them that like in some of this more pine country, to me, it makes it more difficult late in the season because those deer get sucked up even tighter in that stuff. We're like, yeah. Earlier, like say November, I think they're still kind of bedding like in the edge of it, and like they're not really, they're not probably always punching straight into that stuff. But now, even the edge is so barren around like some of these thickets, they have to go so much further in there, which makes it harder for again going back to the afternoon set. In my opinion, it makes it harder for you to get just close enough where you might get an opportunity at him when he gets out in you know a shootable location. Yeah, uh, if you're hunting like a you know hunting a buck or hunting for a buck. Um, and that just again, that just makes it, I think a little more challenging in in um, you know this kind of habitat. I think it's still possible to do it because I know guys that are successful late season, but it kind of goes back to you know Jacob's focus is specifically on cover, and this is my only kind of caveat to it. I, I, when you're in an area that's you know there's an expansive amount of really good cover, if you can probably time it where you find a really really good late season food source that the deer are actually using that is really close to bedding that you can capitalize on specifically if you get some really, really cold days. Again, we don't get like the brutal weather a lot of guys up north do, but if you get some colder days or a big storm front comes through that might get those deer on those feet a little bit early to come, you know, hit some food sources, whether it's, you know, late dropping um, um, acorns or... You almost said it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, you know, whether it's food plots, whether it's... Um, you know, all kinds of things. If you're on a hunting club and, a la and you're allowed to bait, maybe it's a bait pile that just doesn't get a lot of pressure on it. Um, I, I think there's a, there's a possibility there to have some success in those areas as long as it's, I'm talking about within a hundred yards of the bedding area of where, yeah. where that buck's actually, you know, spending some time, you know, um, you know, so it, it is, it is interesting, but I think we're going to get quite a few listener success stories from that. Again, I, I really think we're gonna get some guys from Arkansas, um, and maybe even Alabama, that ride in that have success implementing what Jacob talked about mm -hmm. um, in their area, 
way past post rut, second ruts, you know, potentially come and gone and actually implement what he's talking about, like finding using trail cameras to kind of find these patterns of like a specific buck of where he's using an area where yep. he's coming out from and going in there and again, you know, getting that deer killed. Um, so I'll be very interested in seeing some listening to that stories come from this episode, uh, or this past episode with Jacob uh, Lyshan and to see, how some of you guys implement it, especially if you are hunting a little bit more of those river bottom areas, areas where, you know, cover is not as readily available and seeing how you guys are able to capitalize on some of that stuff. Yeah. hundred percent. Uh, let's, uh, let's move on to a little recent hunting activity before mm-hmm. we get to our Q and A's. Uh, I want to talk specifically about, um, my hunting club, but also we got a, we got a hunt we didn't talk about that you did. So you and our buddy Gabe Goodson oh, yeah. went and hunted a SOA here in Alabama. You drew a bow hunt, big wood setting. Not going to name the place, obviously. But uh, y'all went out there, and it's kind of early rut, I guess, for for this area. And and uh, let's let's take a run down to the hunt because y'all had some uh, some interesting things happen. Yeah, so this is an area I've been wanting to hunt for a while now, and uh, Gabe was able to get drawn for it and invited me to go hunt with him. It's a bow hunt, and uh, it's actually one of the units that I've actually had tracked a buck uh, for a listener last year with Pepper. Mm-hmm. And we tracked it for like, I don't know, it was like eight hours, something like that. And uh, kept finding beds and more beds. I'm like, this deer's not dead. Um, and come to find out, we're pretty certain that deer showed back on camera for a, a, another hunter the next week in the unit next to it. Oh. And had that buck on camera still alive. Um which is, you know, good to see. Uh, you don't want to leave a dead dead deer out in the woods, yeah. uh, not recovered with the dog. But um, So I was fairly familiar, and I remember how he hunted it and what he did, targeting scrapes, and it was around the same week. Yeah. Actually, he might have had the hunt the week before, uh, like that. Uh, we had like the second week of December. He might have had like the first week of December hunt. Mm-hmm. And he was hunting scrapes and had, you know, good luck catching this, you know, really nice mature buck on a scrape right at daylight and, and get him shot. Just wasn't able to kill him. And uh, I was like, I told Gabe, I'm like, dude, we need to try to go find some scrapes on this hunt. Like we need like go through here, walk this place and try to find the best sign possible. And the air, the, this area is really open woods. There's not a lot of timber management being done on it. So it, it makes it where like you're truly hunting like a big wood setting, like mm-hmm. very, like covers, very limited covers. Also very, um, how do I put it? Like good cover on this area would be bad, terrible cover in other areas, but the deer used it. Mm-hmm. It's just like high, high, like slightly more uh, uh, stem count areas, and also we, we realized, and I kind of thought this, but what we realized in the hunt was all the deer were staying high in elevation. This area is pretty hilly, um, and they were all staying very high up. They weren't dropping down to the bottoms unless it was dark, and the bottoms were wide open. The hillsides had slightly more cover, but I want to say slightly more cover. Instead of seeing two hundred yards. You can see like 150 yards or 100 <laughs> yards. Um, and they were just bedding. It seemed like all the deer we were, uh, you know, running into were bedding with just a side advantage. And to be honest, we ran into mostly just does. I saw a couple of small bucks, but no shooters. Um, but uh, it, it ended up really good. We had decided we had hunted a couple different spots and did some big, I did some big J hooks trying to hunt through some stuff. And uh, we found some sign. But the thing is, like, I found some gigantic gigantic rubs on this place 
like bigger rubs, some of the biggest like height rubs I've ever seen in Alabama, uh, where like you stand up to it and like legitimately the tine marks were like up on my sternum on some of these trees and just destroyed, but they're all from like last year. None of them were fresh and they were all down bottom, big creek bottoms. And uh, we kind of hunted around it and struggled the first day, that first afternoon hunt. Uh, Gabe went to one side. He, actually, he saw some deer. He saw a group of does come off the top of a ridge. Uh, I, I hunted my way back to some pretty good sign and just ended up not seeing anything. Um, but we ended up kind of focusing a lot of our efforts on like the northern side of this unit uh, where we had a couple two big ridge systems right there uh, up against some private. And uh, there was an, uh, a, a tornado that came through a few years back that did a lot of damage in this area. And I knew that some of that, because we had tracked this deer for this other guy off one of those ridges. He shot on one of those ridges, and it ran down into the tornado path. And I remember mm-hmm. what that tornado path looked like, and it was gigantic red oaks that were just laid over on top of each other. And I'm like, that's the only like thick cover on this place. So I focus on one of the ridges that had... Uh, all those, all that falling tree activity on, which is on the backside of one of the ridges, and uh, got into a bunch of deer. Man, I actually, I, I shot a deer. Um, I, I'd slipped up into the spot uh, just after, or right around gray light, and uh, was working my way up the ridge. Found some big scrapes, but nothing super fresh. Found one scrape that I kind of told you about. That um, it seems like in these big wood areas, it's kind of weird. Like you'll find, you know, of course you'll find your little scrapes, but it's like you'll find a scrape that looks like someone put corn out. Okay. Yeah, that is that is true. In the big wood settings that we hunt, I don't I don't find anything like that in our more pine country. Like in a, in in pine country, like a really good scrape for me at least is like the size of this little table in front of us. Yeah. Like you know, uh, three and a half four feet diameter or something like that. Yeah, like a like a decent size in in open wood like big wood setting. A, a good the best scrapes I find are like two or three of these tables put together. Yeah huge and like people know it people who have ever like seen where corn or like rice bran or something has been broadcast to the woods and just how how there's like a normally like a bare spot where all the corn was and then uh like off the edges of it you know it's kind of disturbed everywhere it's all kicked up these scrapes look like that i mean they look just like it yeah it's not like it's just pawed out in like one specific spot it's like a whole area that might be like i found one is eight nine you know feet in diameter the whole area is just all destroyed in this one spot and there's like two or three really good looking branches hanging over Mm -hmm. it oh my god so anyways i found something like that uh off one of the ridge points uh it's a real long ridge and uh ended up keeps i kept slipping up that ridge and got to the very top of it and uh, found some droppings by my. It's, it's wide open woods. I'm talking like from where I set up, I could shoot 150 yards on the ground, no problem. Like you ain't yeah. even got to think about hitting a limb and like just big, big timber. And uh, I was like, man, I might just climb right here in this area because I can observe this whole ridge system and to see if I can catch movement, like bucks, like side hill and around the ridge or crossing the top of it. And it wasn't. I wasn't there for freaking. 15 minutes just kind of like just analyzing the place and just kind of you know laying low and it was a cool morning i see a, a, a glimpse of like brown and white way up the ridge from me like way down like down the ridge and i see this doe she's coming i'm like well you're getting shot if you come over here <laughs> and then it was like another doe and another doe. And i think it ended up being like six six deer came in six does or five does and a spike and uh i got behind this gigantic mountain oak just I mean, this tree, the tree was... So you're, uh, you're still on the ground here. Oh, yeah, I was on the ground. I had my saddle stuff with me, sticks and everything. And uh, anyways, knocked an arrow, got behind that tree, 
And I'm like, dude, they're going to step out right here at 30 yards right past me. I'm going to let them get by the tree, draw from behind the tree because the tree was huge. I'd like drop, drop my backpack, drew back. And uh, anyways, second the doe, I, I could see like the first big lead doe or one of the first does was coming through, drew back. And uh, I was on my knees and she like got right past the tree, 30, 25, 30 yards. I kind of raised up on my knees. I'm like, man. And she like just stopped, looked around, shot, hit her, spun tore off running i didn't realize because you can shoot i think you can kill like four deer on this place mm-hmm. i didn't realize most alabama public land you can kill one or maybe two deer a day but typically it's like one deer a day so i didn't think about knocking an arrow <laughs> those other five deer just stood there at like uh-huh. 30 yards like looking like what just happened to old, old lucy over here <laughs> and uh, i didn't realize i could have knocked another arrow and shot another deer probably uh but she, anyway she, she ran out she ran down the side of the ridge stopped and then she kind of like bounded off a little bit and uh, texted, texted uh, Gabe, I was like, hey, man, just shot, shot a doe. And when I hit her, I thought I hit her like it, – it was mid-body. It was further, like eight, six inches further back than where I wanted to hit her. But uh, I'm like, dude, the deer – I'm like, I've got pepper at the plate, at, at, the, uh, at my place. I'm like, I can go get pepper. We'll come back and find that deer in six, eight hours. Um, but I was like, okay, cool. Like, you know, good hunt. Texted Gabe. He's like, all right, cool. He's like, I ain't seen anything <laughs> yet this morning. He was down in the creek bottom down behind me. And uh, – like 20 minutes later, I'm like sitting there because I'm about to like, I was like, I was the text Gabe. I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm going to climb a tree right here and see if a buck comes through. And, uh, and a little bit later, I'll go look for blood and look for the arrow, all that kind of stuff. And, uh, 20 minutes later, I'm like, you know, I'm kind of sitting there, let everything kind of cool off because those deer stood, those, all the deer stayed around me for like 15, 20 minutes. And finally, they just eased off, went off the backside of the ridge. And, uh, I went to go climb a tree and Gabe texted me. He's like, he's like, hey, I think I just shot your doe. And I'm like, what? what? Yeah, I'm like, what are you talking about, dude? Because the deer went, ran opposite direction from where he's at. And he's a couple hundred yards behind me. Yeah. And uh, and he was like, call him. And he's like, yeah, dude. He's like, I had this doe come off the side of the ridge. She was coming right towards me. And she was acting weird. She got, she got into the creek and started swimming in the creek, like back and forth. And I'm like, and he's like, yeah, I thought that was weird. I'm like, yeah, that's kind of weird. And he, she cat up on the, my side. I could see a three-inch hole in the side of her. And... Oh, uh, and he's like, well, that must be the deer Jacob shot. So he's like, second, she got to like 16-yard shot with the crossbow. Boom, put it, you know, she went 30 yards, went down, 40 yards, went down. And uh, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, <laughs> I'm still, in, I'm like, no, there's no way it's the same freaking deer. And I'm like, when you get down, because actually he was sitting on the ground. I'm like, when you go to look for it, like, second you get to her, I want you to send a photo to me. Mm-hmm. Ten minutes later, he's like, hey, I'm standing over the deer. He's like, I'm almost, I'm 100% sure this is the deer you shot. And I'm like, okay. Oh my gosh. And he flips the doe over and sends me the photo. It's a three inch hole in the side of that deer. Um, again, back on the back side of the ribs, kind of like you get again a lot further back than I wanted to hit. Not, not back side of the ribs. No, like back front s- side of the leg. I would. Yeah, say. that pocket from like the back side of the ribs to like the hip, like because, right there in that pocket. Because you were saying you when you uh, mm-hmm. texted me, you were like, yeah, I think I hit her like last rib or something mm-hmm. like that. So like further back than you want oh, but yeah. it was like significantly further back than that yeah it was probably i mean it was like how and i'm not talking crap because i shot no, it, like yeah this. yeah no it's probably it and it surprisingly it reminded me a lot of your deer yeah like of the situation uh um, so so also mm-hmm. just to color the conversation a little bit more uh you know 
We, I don't think you've shot mechanical. I've never shot mechanicals before, and yep. uh, th- we know that several people who like to shoot uh, sever broadheads. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was like, whatever, I'll give them a try because mm-hmm. I was wanting to change for this year. I was going to lighten my setup a little bit, and uh, I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll try a mechanical mm-hmm. just just to try it. You know, uh, I've never shot one before in like twelve years of bow hunting, mm-hmm. so I'm I'm trying them out this year. I, I shot. I've only shot one deer with a bow this year. It was mm-hmm. that doe I shot on opening day, mm-hmm. uh, and I had a crazy deflection. Like if people heard that episode, basically what happened? She was at like ten yards, and I got a deflection off a limb that was basically immediately in front of me. And somehow or another, I, I think it has to do. I think the broadhead probably opened mid-flight because I got that deflection, and it hit her like right on the front of her back leg. So the arrow entered in. It, up. She was she was broadside, and the arrow entered at probably like a 45-degree angle, like super weird deflection, and basically like rode her rib cage up into her front shoulder all on the same side. So like the broadhead hit her like back here, if you're watching on the video podcast, and traveled straight up to like her armpit and did not go into her chest cavity or anything like that. And thankfully, it killed her. It caught like an artery or something. Mm. But it was just like insane weird deflection, horrible penetration, horrible blood trail. Everything was terrible about it, which obviously I shouldn't have hit the limb. It's my fault. Yeah. But that was my first experience with a mechanical. So not great. Now, fast forward to your hunt. Yeah. So after, so anyways, he gets the deer and I'm like, All right, I'm going to go look for blood because I'm just curious about the shot site. I get to the shot site. And I, I thought, because I'm sitting on the, I'm on the ground, she was on the ground, she might be a foot lower in elevation on the side of the ridge than me. Like, it's almost completely, like, same elevation. So I'm like, more than likely, there might be a little blood on impact, but it's probably going to take her a little while before blood opens up. Yeah. I get down to impact, and when I shot her, I thought, because she, of course, she spun when I shot too, I thought I saw the arrow in her as she ran off. So I'm like, I'm going to go. How far was she? Like 25, 30 yards. Okay. In that in that little range. And uh, anyways, I go down to the shot site and I start looking. I'm like, and I, I mean, I took a photo from where I'd sat. And again, these are wide open woods. Took a photo of where I was sat of like what trees she was kind of like standing next to. I go down there and the leaves are all kind of kicked up and stuff. I go down there. I'm like, there's no blood. I don't see arrow, nothing. I'm like, okay, well, probably go 20, 30 yards, probably find something. I start going 20, 30 yards down, kind of the way she went, nothing. I'm like, oh, that's weird. So, I start because I've shot I've shot mechanicals a good bit in the past and always had <laughs> typically have always had really good blood trails and uh, so I start like kind of zigzagging across the path that she kind of ran down through this little beach thicket before she kind of side healed mm-hmm. and uh, never found a drop of blood never found the arrow nothing and did that for like maybe a hundred uh, eighty ninety yards yep and I'm like that's freaking that's weird. And then uh, I go back, meet up with uh, Gabe and help him get the deer out. And I'm like, I see, I see the gigantic hole in the side of this deer. And uh, I'm like, let me stick my, I'm gonna stick my hand down in there. I'm gonna see what the arrow did. I stick my hand in there, and that air, that broadhead did not go in more than an inch from what it seemed like. Yeah, it's kind of like yours, where like I stick, you know, you stick your hand in there. I'm like, I don't feel like any kind of hole going into like it just opened the skin up opened part of the meat up and there was like nothing else yeah it's like you took a knife and like slashed something mm-hmm. and that that was it yeah and i'm like how did i'm like and there's no bone there was no bone there nothing like there's n- there's nothing right there where it hit yeah and i'm like what that is that is super super weird and i messed around with it for a while and even when we went back to skin the deer out 
nothing. Like, did not go in an inch into that deer. Yep. Um, and uh, a weird uh, something weird about it when we went to skin her out and everything is uh, her whole. So that was on her. Uh, she was broadside to me, uh, walking uh, right to left. So I shot her on the left hand side. Well, when we go skin her out, her whole left hand, back left hindquarter is just bloodshot, like you shot with a rifle. Yeah. And I'm like, that is, I'm like, that's weird. Like, you know, because it, it didn't look like there was a lot of trauma right where that arrow had hit. Yeah. And when I skin her out, I didn't notice any other holes in the meat until I start to cut the hindquarter. I start to debone the hindquarter. And there is a hole at some point in the hindquarter where it's just like hair and everything's like embedded in there. Or like the, the arrow, you know, like if you shoot a broadhead, um, say like uh, – Sometimes I've had this happen a few times where like the broadhead will like push hair into the hole as well. Yeah. And it, it was something like that back in the hind quarter, like away, away from where that, that big slice was at. And I'm like, I, I, I couldn't figure out what happened as in That's like, weird. did the arrow, when she spun, did the arrow hit her in the back hind quarter and then open, like come out the same side, like right there in that, that back spot. Never found the arrow. Never found the arrow. Never found the arrow at all. And uh, so, anyway, there's just a bunch of weird questions to be had with that. Uh, but yeah, definitely not a not a great experience. Uh, but we got the deer again. What, what do you think happened? I, mean, I, I have no idea. If you just had to guess, G- Gabe thought he's like the you know she spun because she spun away from me right when I shot. Um, he's like maybe it deflected off. He's there, I mean, there's no bone there, like where it hit. Like there's no bone. So I'm like, he's like maybe it somehow hit and that momentum of her spinning real hard as that arrow was hitting gave enough, you know, sideways away mo- uh, move, uh, momentum that it like kicked the arrow out or something. I, I don't know. Like we both have no clue that's, what, what happened the whole situation. Yeah. That's, that's like, weird. There's never, no matter, you know, I've talked to a lot of guys that kill a lot of deer with their, uh, with their bows, but like not every, there's never one deer. that's, it, it's the exact same for the next. Like they're always, it's slightly different. Like what happens, and like yeah, that's like one of those situations. Is like I have no idea what happened. Just bad penetration. Yeah. Like and like, it's tra- almost it's almost like the arrow just dumped its energy when it hit the hide, and just because there wasn't another hole, was there? No, no. There's no exit because I I thought when she ran off, I didn't see because I could see her right hand side when she ran off, but I thought that arrow had gone in. Mm-hmm. Kind of in your situation, like I thought it yeah buried up pretty freaking deep in there um but there was no exit on the, there's no hole on the other side no exit hole nothing like that um but uh whereas i was gonna go out something um yeah i just i don't know i have no idea what happened but i've shot my boat since and the boat shoots fine like yeah shoot fine with it no problem um so i don't i have and there I have nothing to ride off on the deflection because it was wide open <laughs> between me and her i mean there was nothing but air an opportunity between <laughs> us and i blew the air out of the way so oh my gosh. um you know it's it's just I, I don't know it was the craziest one of the craziest things not almost i say I was almost as crazy as your deer it'd be 100 percent awesome if not maybe I mean, that sounds more crazy yeah than maybe yeah maybe yeah, more because at least mine was a deflection yeah but like you're like i don't understand why the arrow dumped all its momentum yeah because where it hit her even if she was spinning, like it should have went, what, like it should have passed through. Yeah, deer ain't moving that quick. Yeah, 
So like, I don't understand how it possibly could not have passed through. Uh oh. Cell cam checking in. Let's see what we got here. <laughs> Let's see what we got here. Finally, see if a buck shares back up. Uh, no. I think there might be a deer behind that holly tree. They keep walking behind the one freaking holly tree. Dude, that you can't see. You them. don't understand. You you're terrible about camera. Posting. I know. I know. I got. I gave you so much crap. Now I got it coming back to me. <laughs> All right, so yeah, weird arrow flight. Yeah, I don't understand what happened with that deer. Yeah, um, but we we hunt, I hunted we hunted for I think we had like two more days left and uh, seen a bunch more. Seen those does. I sat that same ridge, but went a little bit further down this uh, the next day and had those same does come through. But also I had a, a small buck, little fork come up from those scrapes, mm-hmm. scared the hell out of me because I sat on, I sat on the ground uh, this next time went in there and uh, kind of got in between like some cedars and stuff. And I, I kept hearing the squirrels, dude. You could shoot a seven man limit in some of these spots. <laughs> I swear, in thirty minutes, it, I've never seen that many squirrels in one spot. And uh, there's red oak still dropping on these ridges. So there's there's food everywhere. But I heard walking coming up that ridge point, like kind of mm-hmm. off my right hand shoulder. I'm like, that's a freaking deer. And I go to spin, and the second I go to spin, I just see that this buck come out from behind that um, behind the uh, uh, this big mountain oak tree. At 35, 40 yards, and I'm like, crap. I just froze. And it was a little bug. Again, it was a little fork, but he kept looking behind him. Um, and I'm like, oh, God. You're like, where's your big and brother? I'm, I'm like, there's no way I can, there's no way I can get a shot. Like, it could be a 180-inch deer that comes up behind him. I'm like, there's no way for me to get a shot. Like, <sighs> I'm pinned. Not with that attitude. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, man. Have some but, hope. Anyways, he, he kind of he eased off, and then I had all those other does come back through, but they didn't, they didn't give me a shot opportunity. Um, but anyways, we just kept hunting around and actually, uh, the very last, uh, or my last morning I hunted or last afternoon, I decided, uh, to go bounce to that scrape that, uh, listener shot buck off of mm-hmm. that. We didn't recover with the dog that was still alive a week later. And I was like, man, let me go check that scrape out. I walked up there on that scrape and dude, it was just like that other one. It was gigantic. It was under a sparkle berry. Big torn up looking branch, all twisted up, gnarly. And that area underneath that sparkle bear is probably eight, ten feet wide. Just mm. destroyed tracks all in it, droppings all in it. And uh, again, in that situation, I was like, man, there was a big down tree, you know, not so, not too far from it, thirty yards. I kind of got tucked up in it. Yeah. And I'm like, man, I'm just gonna sit here and see if I catch that buck come up over that ridge off the backside of that real thick stuff. And uh, yeah, nothing, nothing showed, but. Um, but yeah, it, it was a, it was a good little hunt. Um, there was a guy, we ran into a couple other hunters at the, the skin and shed on that property. Uh, when we were cleaning the deer out and, uh, this one dude, he's hunted that place three separate times mm-hmm. and he's killed, I think one good buck out there and seen a bunch of bucks. And, uh, he's, he, he or his buddies have only drawn like these two different units side by side. So he knew him really well. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he's like, yeah, he's like, man, I saw a shooter last night. He's like, man, he came right off the ridge. He's like, he's like 90% of people that hunt this place. They always try to hunt down the bottoms and they don't ever see anything. He's like, you gotta be up there with them on those ridge tops. Yeah. And he's like, I had one come out to 60 yards last night. That was a really, really, really good deer. But I uh, just couldn't get a shot at him with my bow. He's like, never mm. got close enough for me. Kind of hung up or yeah, hung up up there at a, at a distance, but um they were moving though it it was it was fun dude talking to the biologist he's like he's like man he's like you know you can kill buck or doe you know you can kill one buck on the property or kill the you know four does and uh he's like nobody this year has killed a doe yet when he was doing the uh the uh, little seminar thing for us and i'm like well i'm your guy i'm like (laughs) doe comes by me she's getting she's getting shot but uh anyways he was happy we shot a doe but he's like dude he's like nobody he's like i want more guys to shoot does out here 
and uh, Gabe was talking to him. He said, man, y'all need to open up for a, a gun hunt, like a, you know, antlerish gun hunt yeah. for a few days and get some more, get some more does killed and, uh, and so on. But yeah, it, it was a fun hunt, but what, what, what you have going at the club? Houndstooth Game Calls is your home for turkey calls this spring. Go check them out. They got all the classic turkey calls. You know, they got the pot calls and the box calls and the mouth calls, but they also got a couple really interesting calls. One of them is called the the success call, and you just need to go look it up. It's very, it's like a box call that you can work with one hand. It's really, really cool. Sounds incredible. They also got the Spur Master, which is another very unique call that you can get some really unique, clean tones out of. They're going to help you out this turkey season. Use the promo code SOP24 to get 15% off of your order at Houndstooth Game Calls. That's SOP24. Use it at checkout. It helps the podcast. True Lock Chokes has been made in Georgia since 1981 and offering a wide range of chokes, over 2,000 different chokes for all kinds of shooting activities. You might be wondering why you'd want to purchase a True Lock Choke, and it's to improve your shotgun performance. Absolutely guaranteed. And as a great example, we have Andrew Maxwell here. And, uh, Andrew, you've had some pretty good luck, again, kind of switching out chokes and trying out the Precision Hunter choke from True Lock. So, Andrew, what's been your experience so far? Yeah, I've, always, I've used the same choke for several years now. I never really thought much of it, and I got the True Lock choke in. I patterned my gun with the first choke at uh, 30 and 50, and then I switched to the True Lock and changed from 30 to 50. And the 50-yard pattern on my gun with the True Lock choke is unbelievable like everybody's jaws were dropping like when we were out there with mike and sam we were all super impressed i mean it's throwing a better pattern at 50 now than it was throwing at 40 before my old choke and andrew you're shooting the precision hunter choke from true lock it's a great option same chokes i have in my shotgun so guys if you want to give true lock a shot this spring you could head over to truelockchokes.com that's t-r-u L-O-C-K chokes.com. You can also use the promo code Southern at checkout at truelockchokes.com and save 10% on your order. Again, give TrueLock a shot this spring, especially if you're not happy with the performance of your shotgun and shoot with a more deadly pattern with TrueLock. Uh, man, so me and, me and Mike have put a bunch of cameras out on kind of field edges, uh, like in the edges of those mulch areas that we've talked about a whole bunch, uh, which is where essentially... They came in, and we had planted pines that are, I don't know, uh, 8 to 10 years old, mm-hmm. uh, pretty pretty thick underneath, actually very, very thick underneath. And they came in and, and mulched part of them because uh, they're doing some streamside restoration uh, where they're mulching around the edges of the streams that run through these pine thickets, and they're planting like willow oaks and water oaks and red oak and mm-hmm. other stuff. Like Those are just the ones I've been able to identify uh, that they've planted. But so the buffers of these streams are like super, super thick, like perfect, incredible deer cover. And so we've, we've got a couple cameras out on those. Uh, and then we got some cameras out just on some ridge points. So there's some pretty tall and long ridges on this property. And we turkey hunted one last mm-hmm. year, threw some cameras out uh, or, uh, or found some scrapes on it mm-hmm. from this past season. So me and Mike went back in there and discovered one of those scrapes, which had some, not not a very impressive scrape uh, from like a ground standpoint. Like it, it was not very big. It was maybe half the size of this table, uh, maybe three quarters the size of this table, uh, pawed out on the ground. But it had a couple licking branches about the size of your pinky that were busted and torn up. So I was like, okay, this is pretty promising. We're starting to get into the rut right now uh, on this property. So basically the rut is kind of starting right here around Christmas. So I'm like the entire month leading up to 
of month of December, they should be on the scrapes. Like that's the time of year that they're going to scraping activity is going to be increasing and increasing slowly over that time. So we put uh, we put a camera on that one, and then I put another camera on a similar scrape, another one we found turkey hunting on the ridge over. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went and ran those cameras yesterday. These are not impressive scrapes, by the way, at all. Like, not compared, not, like, to oh, my you, standard. you checked the cameras? Yeah, I checked them last night. So uh, I went in, well, one of them was a cell camera, and it got a whole bunch of nothing on it. I mean, it had some does, and it had one little buck that came by one time, actually the day that I moved the camera. Um, so I went and checked the other one, too. And like I said, these scrapes, I don't know what it is about this property. I've walked the hubs. I've walked the ridge points. I've gone to the areas where I was very confident I would find the kind of scrape I'm looking for, and I did, have not found it at all. I, I haven't even found very many rubs. Like, the buck sign on this property is underwhelming as crap. They don't participate in the rut. I don't think there's that many bucks on the property, to be honest with you. I really don't. Uh, we had that bachelor group of, like, five bucks. I killed one of them. Uh, and so I don't know how many more bucks are on the property, dude. I haven't ran a lot of cameras like all over the property but uh i just i don't know like the the complete lack of buck sign makes me feel like there's not actually a lot of bucks living on the property um so i went and checked i so uh-huh. the scrape number one cell camera pretty much nothing on that some does came through but very seldom not a good spot the other one same thing it was out for three and a half weeks mm-hmm. i had three does come by one time that's it no other deer came by. I'm just like, dude, what is going on? So I don't know what the deal is, man. I can't find. Now, actually, I will say this. Uh, were, were you going to say something real quick before I jump no, in? No, no, keep, keep going. I guess I'll tell you. So I go walking up where I moved one of these cameras. Actually, when I was walking in there yesterday afternoon, mm-hmm. there was a couple scrapes that had been opened up on this logging road that runs down this ridge point. It's one that me and you turkey hunted. Were we, were we pie-faced that turkey, mm-hmm. as Josh Iderton says? Mm-hmm. Um, there was th- that roadbed had a couple scrapes on it, and as I was walking in there yesterday to get this camera, there's like two or three again little scrapes. One buck came through one time and pawed out the ground once, so it's like this big. It's like it's like the size of like a soccer ball. Um, small little scrape, but it's got licking branches. But then I notice one one tree that just looks like it should have a freaking scrape on it. It's right on the military crest, right before the the hill kind of drops down into a saddle. And it's a little black oak or something growing on the side of the road. And it's got looking branches just, I mean, like God placed them there so a deer could scrape on it. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm walking past this thing, and you can tell it's been scraped out in the past. Not this year, but you can tell like the pine straw here is pretty thick and you can kind of see the dirt a little bit underneath the scrape where mm. clearly it was opened at some point last year and just pine straw and stuff has fallen on top of it and it hasn't been opened back up this year. But then I get to looking at the licking branches and the licking branches are all about the size of like a like a number two pencil. Some of them are a little bit bigger, like the size of like a Sharpie and uh, they are uh, like five or six of them are absolutely twisted up fresh and like destroyed. And so I'm like, I wonder, and then I, I go to scrape, so I move my camera to that, and it's kind of watching down the road where there's another scrape that was opened up behind it, and mm-hmm. I can kind of see both of them, but the that the one I'm talking about is right in front of the camera. I put the camera on that, uh, and I, I go to open the ground up to scrape out underneath it, just, you know, get some fresh scent and draw some attention to it, and it is like rocks. There is just freaking rocks in the ground. Like, it's super, super rocky, big 
big fat rocks too, not like gravel or anything like that. And I'm like, I wonder if they're just hitting this licking branch and they're not actually pawing the ground because it's so rocky. Yeah. And that's something that Drew Atkinson talked about where uh, sometimes he'll find licking branches where they're not really pawing underneath it or sometimes when he's doing a mock scrape in a spot like that that should have a scrape there, he will like dig the rocks out of the ground and like make the ground softer and easier for them to paw out mm-hmm. and they'll start using it more. So I'm really curious to see if that works out. Um, Is that a cell camera? Or no? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's our Moultrie. That Moultrie camera. Gotcha. Um, interesting. Well, let me tell you this. So I ran into one of my neighbors, and uh, he's got a property like north of us, like two miles. Okay. Okay. Interesting. And uh, he saw I was getting some stuff ready uh, to go hunt, and uh, before we went to that that big wood section, and he's like, "Hey, man," he's like, "You pretty good at aging deer?" And I'm like, "Maybe." I don't like what. Sure, here we got some photos. He's like, oh yeah, come over here. Let me show you stuff. Name's Luke. Real cool guy. And uh, he started showing me some trail cam photos from his place. Got some hat, bro. He's got two deer on that can- on, on that property that would make you blush. Really? He's got he's got a ten point on that camera that makes your ten point look. <laughs> I mean, just I mean, JV Lee. Really? Oh, dude, he's got. Is, it, it, is he is he north or south of uh, that creek? Uh, north side of it. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I mean, he's got like, I think he's got like 10, 15 acres there, but he's got buddies like between him and all of his buddies are all around it. Um, there's like, I think 60 acres that they all own and kind of hunt around and stuff. Mm -hmm. And they all have these same deer and it's a, it's a, there's a 10 point. It's easily five. It's just a gigantic deer body and antlers, just huge deer. Yeah. Um, and then he's got a, put uh, a, put a number on him. What what do you think he is? Score wise. I mean, he, he, there's a very good chance like easily breaks like the 140 mark. Okay. But like his mass is what's incredible. I mean, he's got he's got super. He's probably got. I mean, looking at like my my velvet deer, he's got twenty six and two eighths inch uh, main beams. That's the shortest beam length. That deer's probably twenty four twenty five inch main beams. Mm-hmm. Uh, but his mass is like so impressive and tall tines and it, his beams come out and they like swoop out. They like they're he's he's probably eighteen inches wide, but he's his beams come out and they swoop up like this out in front of him. Yeah. But uh. Anyways, but he's got eleven point on there that like the deer can't be three and a half years old. That might score almost the same amount. Like, and I was like, dude, like, listen, if y'all kill that deer now, awesome. If y'all don't kill that deer now, and that deer stays around, oh my that gosh. deer could be a giant. And he's like, he's like, dude, he's like that eleven point's been there since I've owned the property last three years. He's like, I, I had him as a six point. He was an eight point last year. Now he's eleven. You point need to make year. friends with this guy. And uh, anyways, but um, well, but anyways, he, we were just talking, and I'm like, do y'all typically have like a lot of bucks over there and uh he's like yeah the last few years he's like we always have you know six or seven you know nice bucks on camera um but he's like since i've owned it there's nobody else around there that hunts other than me and my buddies in that little area because he knows all the other landowners yeah and uh he's like nobody else hunts and he's like since i've been there he's like i don't know who owned it before and he's like i think they hunted but he's like the, the quality's getting better every year since they've been there yeah um but he was just talking about it's kind of sim- similar situation to your club and cody kind of knows everybody down in that area mm-hmm. it's like everybody has the same deer on camera they kind of just move through. But yeah. I asked him, I'm like, what's the buck sign like down by you guys? And uh, I'm like, or is it, you know, do you see a lot of scrapes, a lot of rubs? He's like, oh, yeah. He's like, dude, it's tore up all over the place. He's like, it's hard to go through any of that place and not find fresh rubs and fresh scrapes. Really? And I'm like, well, Andrew's Club ain't like that. Dude. No, not at all. Dude. Um, but also um, something else about that area that he's in. Because, again, it's not far from your club. I mean, probably six miles maybe from your club um, is uh, the – 
rutting activity. He's like, yeah, they always rut. He's like, right around Christmas, first week of January is really, really good. And he's got bucks like bumping, like some of those big bucks, like that big tens, like bumping, like checking does on camera. He's got like video of them and stuff. Like right now? Right now. Yeah. Like, I mean, as of like, yeah, four days ago. Okay. Um, it being uh, December 20th yeah. at the time we were recording. This. So I'm like, okay. I'm like, cool. I'm like, that. that's, you know, good to know. But, uh, He's like, yeah. He's like, dude, I think we're gonna be able to kill some some real big deer in the future. But I was talking to him about how he's hunting it, and it's not. If him and his guys, they, you know, they're they, they, it's private lands, they, they're baiting and all that kind of stuff, and you know, they don't have a lot of daytime photos. The deer, like his buddy, will get him on daylight, and then he might get him on daylight for a little bit, and it kind of flip flops. But they're all just running so much bait out there that I think like they're just kind of skirting a lot of that stuff. And I'm like, man, man, I'd like to hunt that place. Yeah, yeah. And, and I was like, I was like, man, I'm like, maybe like. Y'all all don't have bait piles put out because it's only like sixty acres between like three guys. Yeah, and I'm like, just maybe each of y'all do like one bait station, but don't have like three or four on a fifteen acre property because that's like what they're doing right yeah. now. Yeah, and uh, kind of maybe get them on. You know, if you're gonna pattern them on a bait pile, that would be the way to do them. Instead of have a bunch of different bait piles out there, they can just bounce around from. But mm. uh, dude, yeah. he showed me on the map on Onyx. I'm like, dude, that place looks so good. It's right at the head of like a slough right there. And uh, his property like comes around the slough, yep. the slough head, and I'm like, oh my, only day during the rut, sit, sit down there on the water's edge, kind of looking back up. Yeah, yeah, it'd be good, man. Yeah, I don't know. It's got me wondering. Uh, I mean, we'll see how the rest of the season goes with this club, but I'm starting to wonder about maybe jumping to an, a new one. Which I'm glad I stayed in it this year because now I've got two years of history with it, and so it, I'm starting to figure out a lot. Like right now, I feel like I'm starting to hit my stride with the with mm-hmm. the club and and. I've had a lot of really good hunts out there so far this year, but still the the buck quality, mm-hmm. not great, not great. That ten point is a great deer. He'd he'd be my biggest buck, and I'd be very happy to shoot him. But the problem is, I was telling, I think Mike this the other day. the The problem is, it's like, okay, why am I driving x you know this long to go hunt some public land in a different part of the state? Yeah, because I've got the the ten point. Is bigger than I think anything that we have on camera in our big woods unit right now. Yeah, but as, as if you look at my second biggest buck at the club, I've got like eight deer that big on the big woods setting, or bigger, or bigger, yeah. and and so like I don't have anything as big as a ten, but I got stuff that's almost as big as him, or just cool mature bucks. Like there's that one six point that's freaking twenty something inches wide. It looks like yeah. huge looking deer. Uh, I'd love to shoot that thing. I'll pass him. But uh, no, you wouldn't. You're so full of crap. And uh, so, like, that's why I'm driving to go hunt that. Because I'm like, at the end of the day, like, the club, like, there's that one buck out there. But I, I was thinking, I'm like, what if, like, he gets killed? I'm like, what am I going to hunt? Because I don't, I mean, I'm sure there's other bucks on the property, but nothing, mm-hmm. nothing just, like, really great, you know? So it's not a very target rich environment. And uh, I don't know. It's just so convenient, though. It's so close to the house that it'd be kind of hard to get out of it. But if I could find something else within 20 minutes of here, mm-hmm. that would be. I might have to, might have to bounce. I don't yeah, know. I don't know, but I mean, you're kind of doing what uh, Kevin told us has talked about on the podcast before when we interviewed him about like his uh, hunting club strategies. Yeah. Where like he's like, year one, you might get lucky and kill a good deer, uh, but you're really just kind of learning what everybody else does. You're kind of learning the deer. You know, you're hunting a decent bit, but like year two is when you really capitalize on it. Yeah, and you know, year two is also. I think he talked about like the year. Do you decide? Do you stay in the club or do you decide to move on to a different property? Yeah, that's true. Um, he did say that. So you know. That's kind of where you're at. It's like, should I stay? I should. I <laughs> yeah, I think I'm gonna bounce. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. It just depends on whatever 
whatever else and you know else is out there i guess mm-hmm. uh anybody know of any good clubs in shelby county alabama hit me up hit me up mm-hmm. anyways um let's hit some q and a's okay let's do it um so where can people find the q and a's yeah so q and a's guys again we try to release off on uh, all of our thursday episodes you can uh submit your q and a's down in the show notes of this podcast episode on the audio feed and also the show description on youtube there's a link down there just be able to submit your q and a <laughs> questions to get answered here uh along you can go to the website the southern outdoorsman.com and submit them there along with your listener success story so again you go out there you kill a you know a deer using something that you learn from the show whether it's from maybe me or andrew or also from the guests Write those in. That link's down in the show notes below as well, so you can submit your listener success story. And, again, we've had some awesome ones coming this fall. So, real excited, especially as as Mississippi and Alabama are really kind of coming into the prime when it comes to the rut. I know we're going to have a lot more of you guys killing some more deer right now, and really excited to see some of those stories come in. Yep, definitely. All right, this is from Jeremy Sims in Florida. He said, hey, thanks for all the great content. I'm in northwest Florida hunting generally flat public land. Is there any way to apply the thermal hub slash bowl hunting logic to our SMZs? The SMZs are uh, about the only elevation change we have. So while we don't have ridges, we do have creek branches that lead to multiple SMZs converging. What would be, would that be the same thing as a bowl? Um, Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, for sure. If, you know, three or more of those drainages all come together, that would be classified as a bowl, even though it might not be more than, 10-foot elevation gain at the most. Maybe. Yeah, and if even if you remove the thermal aspect from it, so like the like a strong, like Mike got to experience a really strong thermal pull when I took him to our, our big wood setting because mm-hmm. the ridges there are so tall. Uh, man, when we were going up in the morning, I mean, you were just getting blasted. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, it was like really impressive thermals coming down. Um, you're not going to have that in Florida because you don't have topography, but the thermal—I mean, the thermal still will carry down those little creek drainages. But more importantly, uh, like I've just looked at—I've never hunted North Florida, but looking at maps of North Florida, which I've done quite a bit, um, those those little branches and and SMZs are usually like pretty thick, and they're a lot different than the woods around it. So if it's like longleaf plantations, but those little branches are like some thick, you know, whatever vegetation it is down there. Mm-hmm. Um, those to me are like natural cra- uh, travel corridors. Yeah. Cause they're going to travel in those low spots and they're going to be in that cover. And if you're hunting where all that co- cover converges, it's a really good spot. Yeah, um, absolutely. What are some episodes that might, uh, I mean, number one, anything Florida related, I always recommend Doug white, which yes. I'll look up his episode numbers. Um, and then also who's the gentleman we interviewed, um, out of Georgia, the hunts, Georgia in Florida, younger guy, Austin Pope. Austin Pope. Austin, Austin Pope. Pope's a good one. So, uh, Eric McGee from South Carolina would actually be a good one, I think, because he hunts he hunts stuff that's similar to what I've seen in North Florida. And again, uh, Jacob's going to try to look up some of these episode numbers right now, but you can go to the southernoutdoorsman.com, and they're on our homepage where you got the podcast feed. At the top of the podcast feed, there's a little search bar. If you go put those names in that search bar, you'll find them. Uh, that That's by far the best way to go just search random episodes is using that little search bar and search at the, the top of the, yeah. of the guest. Yeah, search the name of the guest. You'll find it. If so you do Austin Pope's episode, uh, Methodically Locating Bucks with Austin Pope's episode uh, 382, and that was from uh, June of 2022. And again, you can search Austin Pope uh, in the search bar, specifically on Apple Podcasts. I think you can do it on Spotify, but specifically Apple Podcasts. And then Doug White, he's had a couple episodes with us. 
which is by far some of our like go to episodes when it comes to Florida. Yeah. Uh, one of the one of the episodes is episode three eighty eight, Big Buck Behavior Patterns with Doug White. That's a good one. And that was from uh, July of twenty twenty two. Yeah, one of those episodes with Doug, we actually talk about uh, hunting like thermal like um wind swirls and, and thermal bowls and stuff in Florida in flatland. Cause Doug actually talks about in that flatland environment, finding a place where maybe it's not like a thermal hub, but it's a place where when you have like a certain wind, the wind kind of eddies and swirls right there. And it kind of acts the same way as a thermal hub. And he targets bucks in areas like that specifically. So one of those episodes actually covers that and, now, we ought to probably go back and edit this episode. So, Doug White has a nickname he goes by, uh, PK or Palmetto Kid. That's from The Hunting Beast. Oh, yeah. Um, so, his other two episodes he did with us was back in 2021. So, June 2021, episode 261, Mature Buck Secrets with Palmetto Kid. Yep. Uh, so, again, you can search Palmetto Kid as well. Pull up these, these two episodes. And the other one is from July uh, of 2021, Mature Buck Hideouts with Palmetto Kid, which Palmetto Kid is Doug White. Yep. PK. And then what was the last one you said from South Carolina? Uh, I believe Eric, Eric McGee. He killed like a 160 or something, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he killed a big one. And it was it was pretty similar to, what I, again, what I've seen in North Florida where it's a lot of like longleaf pine plantations or longleaf pine savannas. And then your bottoms are more like thick kind of hardwood drainages. Uh, and man, I cannot remember what kind of plant it is that grows in there. But it's it's like thicket forming. It's almost like kind of shrubby, and he killed his buck in an area a lot like that. But again, you can go search it on the website and and that. So the episode of Eric McGee is episode one forty three from January of twenty twenty. Postseason scouting for success with Eric McGee going way back. Yep. All right. Next up. All right, so this is actually a question from Spotify. On Spotify, there's a and a feature on all of our podcasts and where you can leave a, a question or a comment on there, which is awesome that Spotify does that. I really like how they do that. So y'all y'all go, y'all Spotify listeners, go hit that up. Uh, this one is from uh, Canyon Kimes from Spotify. Uh, from northwest Arkansas here, an area we have started hunting has bowls that has drainages all over them and oak flats on top. How would you guys approach a terrain feature like this? Bowls that have drainages all over them and oak flats on top. So oak flats, I'll take it. Uh, oak flats are probably going to find, of course, you know, at this point of the season, you might find some um, red oaks that maybe still are holding or maybe still some uh, acorns on the ground. Um, but you'll probably find in and around those oak flats, especially on the points of them, like if it's on a big, big ridge point, it drops off. Towards one side of the point or the other, you're probably going to find some kind of scraping activity there. Yep. Um, and then also, like with those bowls and those thermal hubs and those drainages, typically you're going to find rubs going up and down those drainages, going down to those hubs. Um, so that's something else you can kind of look at and focus on. And you're probably going to find, if I have a general idea of probably where you're at, because of the habitat you're talking about, um, you're probably going to have some kind of benches. And this is when Onyx's slope angle shading really comes in handy because, you can, again, you can see those benches we talked about in last week's um uh, breakdown episode uh, when a guest was asking about uh, uh, the uh, slope angle shading and, and how you go about using it. I think it'd be very, very handy out there. Uh, but if you're talking about like, you're now kind of hunting this in the post rut situation, finding the densest cover again, the episode from this week with uh, Jacob Leishan, 
the densest cover along with um, having an idea of potentially where some food sources are going to be at, I think would be really critical for you um, and, and try to find those densest cover. The densest cover I've seen over there, some of those areas uh, in Northwest Arkansas, they do some pretty good timber management. So you're going to find like a lot of select cutting um, where they go through and they leave some pines or some uh, hardwood uh, like oak species, but they cut everything else around them. So it's like real high stem count, thick stuff. Yep. That's going to hold deer. Also, if you have clear cuts, that's going to hold deer. And then any kind of like cedar thickets or anything like that, that is like visual obstruction. And also, so this is something Drew Atkinson talked about. Uh, beach thickets, so beach tree thickets where they hold their leaves and you get a lot of beach saplings that are, you know, literally just an inch or two in diameter that's like real leafed out and you get like a whole hillside like that, that could be an area that a buck could be using right now uh, specifically for um, uh, bedding cover and travel cover as well. Mm-hmm. Also, remember, you need to go back and listen to Drew Atkinson's episode. Uh, let me look up that one again. Uh, when he's talking about using uh, scrapes kind of post rut and that secondary rut time period uh, because he's up in your area of the country and has really good success patterning bucks with scrapes into that late season going into January and actually has killed some of his best bucks during that same time period. Um, And also something he had mentioned in that episode was implementing like actually bringing in doe estrus uh, urine and putting it in some of those scrapes to kind of refire up bucks in the area. And by doing so, he's had success uh, again capitalizing killing bucks on scrapes in January in Arkansas, mm-hmm. uh, which is way past the rut. Typically in that area, they're running like late October through that first week and half, uh, two weeks in November. And um, you know he's having success in January doing so. So let's see here. Uh, one yeah so this is the episode yeah. here where we talked about so the episode where drew kind of talks more about like this january hunting uh scrape hunting um strategy it's episode 520 mature bucks on scrape lines with drew atkinson and that was from october of this year of 2023 so again, episode 520, Mature Bucks on Scrape Lines with Drew Atkinson. It's a really good episode. Go get that one and listen um, because he'd be a great resource for you up in that area of the country uh, because he's doing exactly what you're doing. You know, late season bow hunting, you know, has success doing so. So definitely take some notes from that episode. Yeah, for sure. All right. <clears throat> Last up, Tyson Schmidt from Texas. As a disabled veteran and a BK amputee, Really getting boots on the ground to scout large parcels of land is hard on my leg. Uh, do y'all have any suggestions on how to really hone in on good spots to hunt without beating myself up to the point where I'm unable to get my leg on, let alone go hunting? I use various hunting apps to e-scout based on terrain features, funnel saddles, SMZs, etc. But places I've gone to based on that have never been promising. Thanks for your help. Stay Southern. First of all, thanks for your service, man. Uh, and also... I, I could be wrong, but uh, Tyson, I think you wrote in a listener success story, and he killed a hammer yep. in Texas this year. A hammer, really good deer, and had like an incredible story, which is on our uh, Facebook somewhere. I, I know I put it on there at some point. And the website, yeah, and the website. So y'all can go check that out. Um, so, what would you say on this? Like, just areas that are are not going to be like just overly like kill yourself to go get into. Uh, I think the first thing that comes to mind for me would be like those. Those really, really under the nose spots that, uh, like something right next to a road, like one of my favorite spots, like this, and and I've had luck on, on a spot like what I'm about to talk about on public land and private land now, 
and that is a, a nice, just a great saddle with a freaking road running right through the middle of it. Even if it's not a huntable road, what I've done in that situation is if you can't just set the roadbed and hunt that, which is probably better than what I'm about to talk about, but if that's not an option, I will literally go and get 50 yards or whatever the legal distance is off the road and sit in that saddle like that. And I've had a lot of luck doing that, actually. I had a great hunt uh, on my hunting club last year where I saw a you know, decent buck uh, pushing does around. And they were, you have you have deer that parallel the road and walk up and down the edge of the road, mm-hmm. uh, you know, 10, 15, 20, 50 yards into the woods. But then, of course, you also have that travel where they're going and crossing the road. And so that is a really good spot in my experience. And a lot of times, I never have competition in spots like that because it's it's 50, there's a road running through the saddle. Yeah. You know, so it's kind of an annoying spot to hunt. And especially if you're climbing and you're like, you know, right next to the road, you know, you might get some funny looks if people notice you up there. But as long as you're a legal distance off of it, that that's the kind of spot I, I've had luck in that's like just really easy access uh, and something that so far in my experience is truly overlooked because it's kind of, it's actually really hard to find overlooked spots these days. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyways, that, that's mine. What's yours? Uh, so he mentioned, by the way, he's tried sales and hasn't had success doing so. So we talked about this in the podcast a lot before, but not all terrain features are created equal mm-hmm. and will have equal results. So just because you go sit in a saddle does not mean that saddle is actually being used uh, and, and definitely may not be being used the time of the year you're hunting. Um, so that takes a little bit of a factor. If, again, you you have like the issue because uh, you know you have a blow the knee a amputee on one leg to really get up around a whole bunch, if you can – and again, this kind of goes back to some trail camera aspects because I think there's a lot you can do without trail cameras and still be successful. But in a case like you, I think it would be worth to kind of beat yourself up a little bit by putting cameras out to kind of have a better idea of what's going on. If you mm-hmm. can use cell cameras, great. Use cell cameras. If you can't use cell cameras, that's fine as well. And, and start building some annual patterns in some of these locations. Um, but for you, if you're just trying to go out there and kill some deer, whether they're trying to kill a buck, trying to kill some does, whatever, and also whether you're bow hunting or gun hunting, if you can find very like highly diverse habitat not far from the road, which if you're in an area of say like East Texas and they do a lot of bit, a lot of logging on those pines, you probably can find a lot of that where you can have different age pines and timber and maybe like a hardwood SMZ all comes together in a very small area. And sometimes that can be very close to a roadbed because um, a lot of times those roads will be like a boundary for one clear cut to another cut. And you might find where they slut cut timber on one side of the road and then just adjacent to it, you've got like a fresh clear cut. And then across the road, you may find something where, um, you know, it's a little bit older pines and then the SMZ comes up. Anything where you can get a bunch of habitat diversity in one spot, that's an area I would go into and check out and potentially throw oh, some sits yeah. at. Um, just because I think you can catch a deer coming through there because you have all that habitat diversity. The more diversity you have, the higher likelihood, in my opinion, you're going to find just more deer in general. And there's also probably going to be a decent buck using that area because of the high diversity, the, yes. the vastness of food and cover all in one spot. And again, if you're hunting public land, Typically, you can find something like that if it's, you know, they're managing timber pretty well. Uh, if you're on private land, you may have that option or you may not. It just kind of depends on how yeah. your private land is being managed. No, that's a that's a, that's a a really, really good answer, actually. Because, uh, like, in, in my – just my experience personally, I have a lot better luck if I, if I focus on the habitat first and the terrain second. So just because it's, like, an absolute um, incredible-looking saddle or thermal hub – if the habitat isn't right, then I'm not going to find that many deer. It, that's been my personal experience. Uh, 
Now, I think people who are like maybe in a big woods, more monotonous setting, it's a little bit different. Mm -hmm. But like if you're in, especially if you're in uh, East Texas, uh, I know you got habitat diversity around you. So yeah, that's a instead of focusing on the the saddles, the SMZs, the the funnels. Well, I guess SMZ would kind of fall into this. But look at the look at the habitat first, and then go off the habitat. And really. The, the absolute first thing I would do is actually be focused on the roadbeds. Uh, we keep we keep bringing up this 10-point at my club. That's how I found the 10-point in the first place is I didn't even know he existed. And in September of last year, right before hunting season started, I just went out and I drove all the roads, and there's one section of the property I couldn't drive, and I, I got out, and I just did like a one-and-a-half-mile loop just walking on, on roadbeds, and I found you know some pretty impressive buck tracks on that roadbed threw some cameras out there throughout the course of the season and ended up getting him on camera in there. So, I mean, uh, it, like on a new property, I'm always starting on the roadbeds personally. Like I'll just drive all the roadbeds, slow roll down them looking for tracks, mm -hmm. and I think that'd be another good way to kind of, you know, instead of just striking out in the woods blind, going to a map feature, you know, if you could drive the roads and find some of those good crossings uh, and find some, some decent-sized tracks, especially if you're looking for a nice buck, then at least you have a starting point, and you know that you're walking into some deer from yeah. that point. And, and there's a guy I can't remember his name, uh, <clears throat> but uh, some buddies of the podcast know him. He's he's a older gentleman. He, he might be in his 80s now or late 70s. Uh, who has I think some health issues. He can't hunt very hard or very far from the truck, and he kills giant deer every year, specifically during bow season, using a crossbow, like within 200 yards of roads. Um, and his strategy from what I've talked to from people that know him, uh, and we've talked about trying to get him on the podcast is kind of hard to get a hold of the guy. Um, his strategy is he doesn't really hunt mornings all that much. He'll scout in the morning, like mid morning to like midday looking for feed sign pretty close to roadbeds. And then he'll come and hunt those, you know, those high feed traffic areas in the evening and, and kill, I mean, kill really big deer, like not like you know, what I would call like a, a really good deer, like a 120 inch deer, like killing 140, 150 inch deer in Alabama, uh, doing that. So, yeah, um, actually another good listen would be Tony Myers. Uh, Tony Myers is a guy local to us here in Alabama. Who's actually, uh, an amputee, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, one leg, uh, amputee. And, um, he, man, I, he just, I think he just tagged out on three hammers here in Alabama and he gets after it. And in these podcasts, I think we do touch on those a little bit about like how he manages that and how he's able to get out. Cause, uh, let's see, we got episode 263, how to read buck sign to find the big ones with Tony Myers. That's a definite listen. Uh, and then episode 191, early season bucks and old school hunting with Tony Myers. I think especially episode 191 cause, uh, I believe that's the one that Michael Perry sat in on, and so we all we kind of had like a roundtable discussion with him, and it, it was it was really really good. Yeah. So, uh, so definitely go listen to those as well. Uh, but yeah, man, Tony's freaking killer. Did you see that eight point he killed the other mm -hmm. day? I mean, good deer. I had to winch it up. Yeah, winch that sucker up, man. Yeah. Anyways, all right. So that's our that's our three again. Uh, Tyson, appreciate your uh, service and your sacrifice, man. So keep us posted on how you do. Hopefully, you send us another listener success story here pretty soon. Absolutely, absolutely. So appreciate everybody been watching the podcast on YouTube. It's been awesome, kind of seeing some of the engagement. You can leave also comments over there on the YouTube videos and YouTube podcasts about you know maybe what you want to see in the future. You know things you liked about the episodes and maybe future topics you want to hear. Uh, appreciate everybody's been purchasing uh, Southern Outdoorsman hats again. Mentioned this last week. 
white, but our new blaze orange Southern Outdoorsman hats, our third shipment of them are finally in. These things sold out extremely quickly uh, the last two times we got them in. We still have a lot of season left here, especially in Alabama, Mississippi. I think we got like five orders since we've been doing this podcast. Uh, awesome. So, <laughs> again, you know, if you guys have, uh, you know, seen some listeners, you know, killing some deer, these hats are like lucky hats. It seems like everybody that buys one go kills a really <laughs> nice buck. So, go pick up one of those hats on the website. And then also, again, you can purchase those if you're in Alabama, especially if you're using Weaver Meat Processing up in Hartsel, up in North Alabama. They actually have these hats in stock as well. So, if you go drop off a deer at Weaver's, you mentioned the Southern Outdoorsman, you'll get a uh, free pack of summer sausage process for free of your order. Also, you can purchase a Southern Outdoorsman hat uh, at their facility as well. So we appreciate yep. them as well on the podcast. So again, thank y'all for watching. Thank y'all for listening. And we'll catch you back here on next week's episode from the Southern Outdoorsman podcast. It's an absolute banger, so don't miss it. And remember, guys, you guys stay Southern. Y'all go ahead and write down the dates, June 28th through June the 30th. Go ahead and just mark those off your calendar so you can be at the Dalton Convention Center in Dalton, Georgia for the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo. Y'all heard a a ton of content from that expo last year that we posted. Uh, We talked about it a ton. Look, if you're the kind of person that listens to this podcast, this show was literally made for you. It was literally designed for you, which means you're going to love it. You know, all the best companies in mobile hunting are going to be there. A lot of the best deer killers in the Southeast are going to be there. A lot of our past podcast guests are going to be there. It's just, it's going to be an incredible event. And hey, if you've been looking to either get into a saddle or maybe a mobile lock-on setup or just a different kind of tree stand setup, I'm telling you, it's worth the investment to go to this show because they're all going to be there and you, you will get to try all of them in person before you buy it. So you don't have to order something online and then wait for it and then try it when it comes in to see if you really like it. You're going to get to go put your hands on everything all in one day, test it all out and figure out exactly what works best for you and have it taken care of before deer season starts. So like I said, go ahead and put it on your calendar, guys. It's a no brainer. You got to be at the show. Again, it's Friday, June 28th through Sunday, June 30th in Dalton, Georgia. We absolutely cannot wait to meet you guys there and talk hunting. So we'll see you at the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo in Dalton, Georgia.